Have you ever thought about the story you are telling with the things you bring into your home? Have you ever thought about what your decor style says about you? I love seeing how different people's home decor, personal style, the way they accessorize when they get dressed, or the kind of dishes they use when they serve a meal. I love how it all says so much about a person's personality, their culture, or their history, where they've traveled, or the things that they value and hold near and dear to them. My guest today has combined her passion for travel, culture, and fair trade into a thriving business that is helping others tell their stories in a beautiful way. Welcome to the Business with Purpose podcast. Welcome to the Business with Purpose podcast. Here's our host, Molly Stillman, our mom. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an all-around amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only with their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is LaToya Tuccheroni. She is the founder and owner of Sustainable Home Goods. She started Sustainable in 2017 because she truly believes that one of the best ways to end world poverty is through trade, not aid. Previous to starting Sustainable, she worked for fair trade jewelry company Noonday Collection, which is no stranger to this podcast. Now, getting to work with that amazing company really began and, and kind of set her on this journey. During her time with Noonday, she noticed a rise in ethical shopping for jewelry and clothing, but very few fair trade options for the home. So she saw a niche and she wanted to fill it. Sustainable home goods can be found online and at Ponce City Market in Atlanta, Georgia. She is a graduate of Elon University, which is right down the road from where I am in Durham, North Carolina. Elon is in Burlington. And she started a successful photography business. She has traveled all over the world and somewhere along the line is raising four amazing kids with her husband, Andrew. I loved this conversation with LaToya. We could have talked all day. I realize I say that a lot, but I really, really mean it. I adore her. I just think of the world of her. I loved our conversation. We talked about it all. We talked about everything from fair trade to travel to the coronavirus to race and racism. Oh my goodness. We just really ran the gamut. It was an awesome conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with LaToya. LaToya, li- coming live from my closet and your home. <laughs> yes. I am so happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Molly, this is so awesome. Like I've heard about you for years and I feel like being on your show is like legit. Oh gosh. Like you, you, you've made it to some level of ethicalness, whatever you want to call that if you're on this show. So I'm very happy to be here. gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I was just saying to you that I was like, when you reached out to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I love you. Yes, please come on my show. I think you're amazing. So uh, the feeling, the feeling is mutual. Well, 
before we kind of dive into everything, I'm going to have you do what all my guests do, and that's give us the Latoya one-on-one. So tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Yes, yes, yes. So my name's Latoya Tisseroni. I am not a Black Italian. My husband's Italian, um, hence that crazy last name. Um, We have four beautiful children who are 11, 10, seven, and four. Um, So life is always super exciting. Beautifully busy. (laughs) Beautifully, beautifully busy. Um, We live in Atlanta, Georgia, which is great. We love Atlanta. I grew up predominantly in Southern California which really kind of set the stage for who I am and my love of being connected to people of all different cultures because it's kind of the way I was raised. So from just growing up in a home that was just heavy in culture, I think I just developed a love for the world. Got my first chance to travel really long-term in college, went to South Africa for like a month. And that's when I really just fell in love with a people group and was just like, oh my gosh, the world is just such a beautiful place and kind of got the travel bug. Ended up marrying a man who loves to travel. Andrew has his own production company. He works with a lot of social businesses as well. And so, gosh, between the both of us, we've probably traveled to over... 50 countries. I think, you know, out of our travels and our love uh, for the world and culture, really my love for fair trade and engaging vulnerable communities through trade just really kind of was born out of our experiences and out of our travels and really seeing that be a need and a more sustainable way of being a part of the solution, I guess I would say. Let me think. I love me a good old-fashioned cocktail. Been enjoying lots of those in COVID-19. <laughs> um, live in a great community. Love my friends. Love connecting people. I think that's been one of the best things about having a store and doing this business is, man, our community of customers and the people that we get to connect with has just been like such a real blessing love movies and stories. And yeah, so that's a little bit about me. I love that. I love that. Now I want to go, um, before we kind of, you know, talk a little bit about sustainable home goods and your business and your shop and all that, there are a couple of things you said that I just, I, I was like, oh man, I want to know more about that. You said you grew up in a home that was really heavy in culture. Can you kind of share a little bit about what that means to you and how, how that kind of played out in your life? Yeah. I mean, I just think my parents just unknowingly just had things around the house, whether it was world music that as a kid I could easily access. So if I wanted to listen to a record, yes, I'm that old. This was before it was like retro. It was like what people listen to. Yeah. Hipster. Hipster. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't hipster. It was just what your parents did. Um, So, you know, there would be records or cassette tapes or just music always around. I mean, even the artwork in our house just spoke to a love of of people. And I just remember my mom had this beautiful bust. She still has it, which is crazy. This bust of this 
African woman with like this big fro kind of going on and these beautiful gold earrings. And there's something to being an environment where those things are elevated that as a child, you're just like, this is valuable. You know, um, this is important. I think that's as a parent, even me trying to instill that my kids, like they're going to look around our house and see like, worry are we telling with the things that we bring into our home? And that's just, that's going to influence their paradigm and, and their way of thinking and what they're curious about. So I know it did for me. I love that. I love that whole idea of what story are we telling with the things we bring into our home? That's really powerful. And it's an important conversation to have with kids. I actually was was talking with a friend um, because, you know, we this is we're recording this during Fashion Revolution Week. And it's really timely that Fashion Revolution Week is falling during COVID-19 because I think it's important to amplify the conversation around around these topics and why fair trade matters and why ethical fashion matters and why it's important to advocate for those things and why being thoughtful about the things you buy is is really important because as we as we're seeing is those vulnerable populations that are already vulnerable are even more vulnerable during a time like this. or so now exactly exactly and you know, something in the fair trade industry we talk about a lot is the cottage industry, you know, really empowering men and women to be able to work from home. And when you have something like this happen, that becomes so vitally important to the community for people to still have a way to be able to like provide for themselves. And so, yeah, I mean, you're totally right. Like spotlighting vulnerable communities and what the needs and are in those communities. I mean, India is just being ravished. Oh, it's awful. South America, Guatemala, Ecuador are just, whew. Right, right. But yeah. Because when you, when you take away what little income somebody has and they're, they're literally day by day going out and, and trying to earn an income and then all of a sudden they're stuck at home for 30 days, like they're going to starve before they get coronavirus. I mean, I, it's such a difficult balance, but there's so many systemic things that have to change. And it's just, but it's an important conversation to have. And, you know, I was talking actually with my kids about it this week, and I was just talking with them about how I'm just one to never shy away from difficult conversations with my kids. And even though they're six and four, you know, we talk about on their level in an age appropriate way, but I, I, I talk about things how I'm like, you know, look, there are families all over the world and there are kids just like you who have to work they don't get to play outside. They don't get to, um, you know, be home with their families. Like their parents have to leave for months or years at a time to work. And, and so here's why it's important why we ask how things are made or why we don't just go out and randomly buy things all the time. Not only is that just financially unwise, you know, like there's a reason why we do that. And yeah, I think that's so important that you're also having those conversations with your kids. How do your kids, what are your kids understanding of, of kind of what you do and what you advocate for? Yeah, it's so fun. Um, actually last year in July, we took a family trip to Guatemala you know, um, the kids have been taking Spanish since they were in preschool 
Andrew and I have been before. We love it. It's the easy flight for them. And so we're like, well, let's just take them. And we were able to actually take them to one of our new artisan groups and they got to meet them and they got to see how these beautiful, um, we got some uh, blankets from them, like throw blankets and also like coverlets for beds. And then the girls each got like shawls and, but they got to see the process and all of the love and the tradition that goes into um, these pieces getting made. And I think it was just really eye opening for them to realize like knowing who makes the things we buy is so important. And so I think that it's just been really great for them. And I think too, when they think about people of the world, they don't just think, oh, poor them. And I think that was really important for us to to show them that these women that we went and visited are talented and I mean, and so gifted and, and also just giving them a view of the world that's not like, oh, those poor people in the world, we need to help them. It's like, no, they're partners with us and we get to buy the beautiful things that they make. So also kind of switching that narrative too, um, because I think it'd be to be like, yeah, we're doing good in the world and we're teaching our kids good in the world. But at the same time, still reinforce a perspective that the world needs our help. We're just the ones who have something to offer. They don't really have anything to offer us. You know, we need to come in and and save them instead of using the symbiotic relationship that that we have, that we're all connected to each other and we all have something to offer and we all make each other better. I think that there's just like a really fine line there, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love what you talk when you just talked about that reinforcing that counter narrative that that the world puts out this one narrative of like, oh, if you're from America or you're from the West or, you know, whatever, you're just going to go in there and be a savior. And it's like, no, no, no. No, like these are people um, who are incredibly brilliant and talented. They just simply lack an opportunity or, or, or maybe access to a resource or access to opportunity. And um, there's a quote that I've said here on the show before, and I am going to completely butcher it. And I can't remember who said it, but I'm going to make sure it's in the show notes correctly. But it's, it's something to the effect of like, talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. Mm, yes. And how, and I, and you know, on my last trip to Kenya, which was actually uh, just at the beginning of January of this year, um, I've been to Kenya many times now. I have, I mean, it's like a second home. My, they're my family there. I love Kenya. Yeah. Oh, it's the most amazing country. Um, and they really, I mean, we, I text with my Kenyan friends on WhatsApp like every day. I mean, they really are like, yeah, I know. I love that. These are my people. And, um, and I had this really powerful conversation after church one day while we were there. And I was talking with um, a friend named Raymond, and he was talking about how his, you know, he's grown up in this area in Kenya that is, it's like basically a step up from the slum. They kind of call it like the working poor community. So it's not, it's very urban, but it's not, again, it's not a slum, but it's kind of just a step up. And he was talking about how, you know, what frustrates him so much is he's like, I think the smartest person in the world lives in a place like this. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And he said, but they don't have the opportunity to put that brilliance to use. 
And his vision for his community is he wants to create an organization where he can gather the, the brightest artists and the brightest teachers and the brightest, you know, all, all these different people, whatever they're good at and, and foster, create an opportunity for them to be able to put that to use. And I just, I loved that so much because I was like, you're absolutely right, Raymond. And it's just not fair. So how do we create that symbiotic relationship to say, okay, well, you have something that I don't, like you have a talent in this area, but maybe I have access to a resource that you need. So how can we create that symbiotic relationship? 100%. And that, and I feel like that's what I love my store is it's like, and I think something I'm really passionate about is like, I want to go travel the world, travel those places and find that brilliance. Right. And then, and bring it back and to change that paradigm that of these just like poor artisans. Let's just help these. It's like, no, there's like such brilliance out there and there is just a need for opportunity. Like I've met this amazing couple here in Atlanta. They're an older couple and um, the husband's from um, Uganda and the wife, she is believe she is from the Netherlands, but has lived extensively in Africa. Like they, between them have spent like 40 years in Africa, like something crazy. And um, they're really on a mission. If you go into their garage, they came into our store one day and they're like, we have all of these pieces from Africa, like come and, and look at them. And I'm like, yes, please. And um, they have all of this original artwork and their goal is to change the narrative around African art. She's like, I feel like people think, oh, it came out of Africa. Therefore, it should be cheaper. You know, it should be cheap or it's just not going to be as good, you know, or whatever. But oh my gosh, Molly, like you look at this artwork and you're like, this is amazing. And so we're in talks with them right now to carry some of the art in our store because I'm like, people need to see this. They need to change the narrative. There are brilliant artists coming out of Africa and telling their story. And I'm like, you just never hear about modern art coming out of Africa. So how do we, how do we change that narrative? You know? Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Yes. I mean, I just, I think about like, yeah, when you, and, and I think what's really impactful for people too, is when you do maybe like an artisan group visit and you can highlight the skills. I mean, if you've ever watched somebody do traditional block printing or traditional batik work, I'm like, that requires unbelievable attention to detail and skill. It was amazing. So we went to visit this one artisan group um, in uh, that's right outside of Kibera in Nairobi. And it's called the Grain of Rice Project. I actually had uh, their founder, Amy Ahiga, on the show last year. And we went to, to I connected with her and I said, hey, I'm going to be in Kenya. I'd love to visit your artisan group. And they were just the most amazing people that welcomed us. Um, but one of the things that they made, it was the most creative, beautiful thing. And it, it was funny because uh, John, one of the artisans was like, do you want to try it? Do you want to And I was like, I was like, okay, I tried it and it was, it was a mess. But basically what they do is they take these reeds that you see, um, you know, in like swamp area, bush area, they take these reeds. And what he does is he shaves them down really, really thin. And then he takes pieces of scrap fabric and wraps the fabric around the, the reeds really, really tight. And then he 
that becomes something that then they weave that into making these really intricate baskets out of these reeds and scrap fabric, but then they weave the more fabric around it. And it just, it turns into this beautiful piece of art. And I was just, I'm staring at it and I'm like, this is the most amazing thing. And the way that they use natural resources and scrap fabric to turn it into this art that is just amazing. And I'm just like, guys, you can't, you can't get this at Target. No, no. Like you can't, no, you can't get this at Target. It's the most beautiful thing. I I can guarantee you that like 98% of all Americans could never, ever conceive of making something like that, you know? And I think that's, again, what I love about our store is like, we say that we give our customers like a story-driven shopping experience because we like to go into as much as possible how this thing was made, you know, because we want people to understand like this took a lot of work, you know, and there's a ton of artistry and this piece that you are getting to hold and touch and, you know, bring home. Like, it's not just about like, let's save the world. It's like, wow, I get to possess this really beautiful thing and bring it to my home, you know, like giving people more of a sense of like gratefulness and more of a sense of just like how special these these pieces are uh, it is kind of like i think what our ultimate goal is so that we can create more opportunities for these brilliant artisans you know yeah absolutely i love i love the way you worded that it's like i get to possess this beautiful piece or it's like oh what a gift that is oh i love that and here i am and i realize that we haven't even really talked about your store yet so we've we've kind of alluded to it so you are obviously the, you're the founder and ceo of sustainable home goods and um, you have a brick and mortar store in um Pond city market in atlanta um you obviously have have um, an online store as well. I'd love to know uh, a little bit more about it and kind of how you started it. Yeah. So um, again, I think it kind of came from, you know, my world travels and my love of culture, but really I think about, gosh, four years ago, four and a half years ago now, um, I got exposed to Noonday Collection. I know you know Jessica Honiger really, really well. Um, and I think for me, it was the first time I saw how business could be used for the good of others, right? You know, because we're always, you know, we're seeing um, a poverty coupled with amazing talent and, but not knowing how those two things go together, you know, like we would travel and we wouldn't, you, you walk away with these two seemingly conflicting feelings of, I love this place so much, but there's also all of this devastation and poverty. Right. And so you're, you're kind of left with that, that two, those two tensions. And I think working with Noonday was the first time I was like, wow, this is a way to live in that love of culture while also being able to engage in ending the, the poverty and the suffering that we were seeing, you know, like it brought meaning to those two things. And so worked with Noonday for about two and a half years. And while I love jewelry, because who doesn't love jewelry, I, I felt like, um, home decor is, I guess, more my jam, you know, like 
there's just something about creating a space for people, creating something that's warm and inviting, filling your stories that I just love. And when I looked out on the retail landscape, I just saw that there weren't a ton of options for purchasing ethically for your home. So ethical fashion has really taken off with jewelry, clothing, all of that. But as far as really being able to buy pieces for your home, unless you really do the work, it's a little bit harder to find. And so I wanted to create a store and create a place where people could uh, shop safely and know that there was no exploitation behind the things that they were buying. I wanted to give people an opportunity to bring meaning and story into their home. And so that's essentially where it started. Uh, For the first year and a half, just e-commerce. I just did e-commerce and then we did some pop-ups around town in different markets. And I saw that when people could touch the product and I could share the story that we just did really, really well. And so it made me realize, okay, it might be time to open up a brick and mortar. And uh, Ponce City Market was like the only place in Atlanta I even wanted to be. So I hunted down the leasing agent and kind of worked a deal, worked my magic and got my foot in there. And um, it's been really great. Like the way that people have responded to our products, being able to have these meaningful conversations like we're having, because Atlanta is like this really cool place of like and um, science, you know, we have the CDC here, but we're all one of the, we're like called the Hollywood of the South. Yeah. Cause you got the entertainment industry. Yeah. Right. And you know, we have like amazing sports coming here. We have the largest international airport in the country. So at Ponce, you just have all of these different people converging onto one place. So the people that we're getting to meet, you know, anywhere from celebrities up to, I met a woman who works for the CDC. She had just moved to Atlanta, who is tackling violence against children. How do we end that? And we just had to, we just had this brilliant conversation about even the economics behind that, right? You know, that when people are unemployed and the shame that they feel behind that of not being able to provide for their family and how that leads to violence often because of the their own self hate and and in some ways that you know we were like a great way to break that cycle is creating those opportunities like we talked about creating jobs creating um sustainable income for these families is one way to cut even violence towards children off you know and so seeing how all of this is just kind of like connected to each other and really honing in on like the importance of all of this. And um, so getting to have those kind of conversations with people has just been, like I said, like so amazing. Um, So yeah, so that's essentially how we started the store. We've been at Ponce since 
April of last year, um, started out in this 163 square foot kiosk. Uh, it was like an indoor outdoor kiosk, super cute, but man, summer was brutal. We were just like melting and winter, um, but we did so well there and people showed us so much love that we we are now transitioning into a permanent location in Ponce, about a thousand square So. We are so glad Love just really loved connecting to fair trade ethical products. They having that as an option. And it, another thing that I've really been blessed by is when people from other countries come in and they're like, it feels like home. Like this, just getting to see a piece of their home and the store. I'm just like, oh, this is brilliant. So. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I know that one of your goals is to be the whole foods of fair trade. And I think you have, I mean, you have it in you and you are just brilliant. And to see how much you have grown in the short amount of time you've been open is amazing. It's, it's banana pants. <laughs> banana pants. Banana pants. That's what, I, that's how you talk when you have four kids, <laughs> but uh, two kids any kids. Um, yeah, it's been great. And that is, that's ultimately, you know, our goal is to, um, I think what, I think what Whole Foods did so brilliantly is they created a safe place for people to come and shop, right? Where they knew there's not going to be GMOs and, you know, I'm going to have access to organic food and food that's connected to real farmers and people and you can shop in there and know you know, you're getting good food. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want people to feel when they come into our store. Like I can come in here and safely shop and know that there's no exploitation, that it's doing good in the world and that they're beautiful handmade pieces, you know, and we just want to give people access to that all over the country. You know, it shouldn't just be spotted all over, you know, and again, you shouldn't have to go and do like hours of research to find the right place. We want to make ethical purchasing more accessible to people. Oh yeah, absolutely. And kind of also going back to what you were saying earlier too, is in addition to making it accessible, but also continuing to change the narrative too, that like you know, there's this cliche that like when people hear the words fair trade, they immediately think it's going to be like, you know, like a macrame vest in a, in a sunflower field and everybody's going to be like singing kumbaya and like it's very like hippy dippy cheap and it just like something you, it looks like something you like got in a port when you were on a cruise and it's like, no, that is not that is not what fair trade is. And um, you can buy beautiful, timeless, trendy pieces and clothing and jewelry and home goods and all those kinds of things um, that are fair trade. And it's just, it's simply changing the narrative to how it's made versus like what it is. Right. That is such a good point. I mean, we say like it, we curate, like I curate every piece that comes into that store and people are always like, oh my gosh, you know, everything in there. And I'm like, well, yeah, because we're very mindful about what we bring in here. We're not just like, oh, it's fair trade. Sure. Just bring it in. So we specifically look for pieces 
that honor traditional technique, but have a modern sensibility to them, you know? So whether that's a traditional pattern, but in more modern colors, you know, um, whether that's beading, but maybe it's in an unusual shape, you know, like we really are very mindful to find cool pieces and cool things because like we said earlier we're trying to find that brilliance out there in the world and give it um, a chance to grow and flourish here in America so I'm always like people are like oh you get to travel all the time that's amazing and that sounds great and it is amazing but I'm like it's a lot of work too you know um really going through and and curating and and trying to find those truly special pieces and those communities and stuff like you were not just out buying whatever we really do try to curate and bring special things and put them in the store. Yeah. Oh man, that is amazing. I mean, uh, with all the places that you've traveled, I know that you have just seen so many beautiful things over the years. Um, I'm really curious, just, uh, this is a, a very selfish question I'm asking, but about of, of like the 50 countries you visited, what are some of your pl- favorite places? I know it's like a really difficult, it's like picking, picking a favorite child. Right. Oh, right. I mean, gosh, yeah, that is really, really hard. You know, I guess on the top of my list right now has actually been Oaxaca, Mexico. Yeah. Have you been, Molly? I have not. I've not. I've been to Mexico, but I haven't been. I have not been to Oaxaca. Yeah. Oaxaca's, I mean, it's beautiful. The food's amazing. The people are amazing. The craft culture there is just insane. I mean, you have these regions, so you have kind of like old Oaxaca, like the main city, and then outside of it, you have all of these different regions like Teotetlan, San Marcos, the Chiopec region, and they all have different crafts. Like Chiopec is known for its black clay pottery. Uh, Teotetlan is known for its weaving. There was a uh, I, I hope I say it right, Gula Via. Um, they're specifically known for basket weaving. Like literally all of these different places within an hour of the outside of, um, of Oaxaca. I mean, there are, gosh, four or five different regions uh, that just focus on different types of ceramics. Like each region does its own different technique of ceramics. You have red clay pottery, black clay pottery, you know, um, you have this other region where they fire the the pots outside and then they put, it almost looks like a Coca-Cola or something after when the pottery is still hot, they throw it on and it leaves like the beautiful just splatters on the, on the pieces. So each piece is literally unique. So you could spend a year there just really exploring um, the craft culture there. It's also like the birthplace of mezcal, um, which is made from agave um, and nectar. And so they just have like just really rich culture and the art there. So we, we have just, we really, really loved Oaxaca like a, a lot. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to, I'm adding that to the places I want to visit. <laughs> Yes, yes. Such an easy flight. So yeah, that's great. 
Have you ever felt like you have words to share, but you don't know where to start? Have you struggled with the tension between the art of writing and the business of publishing? With the help of Hope Writers, an online community of working writers dedicated to the success and creativity of each member, you can learn how to share your words of hope with a world that desperately needs to hear them. Hope Writers takes seriously the creative, social, and spiritual call to the deep work of sharing your stories and ideas with the people who need them the most. They help writers make progress by finding and following the path to sharing their words with a reader without feeling lost, discouraged, or overwhelmed. To learn more and discover which of the six stages of writing you are currently in, visit hopewriters.com forward slash molly. That's hopewriters.com slash molly to take a 30 second quiz. I promise it only takes 30 seconds. You, I know it. You have words of hope and Hope Writers wants to help you share them. I just want to say that I personally have been a paying member of Hope Writers for over two years now, and it has been one of the best investments I have made in my own writing journey. So head on over to hopewriters.com forward slash Molly to take that 30 second quiz. Now back to my conversation with LaToya. Now, there's something else I really wanted to talk with you about, because this is, again, something that I know I know about. You and I have talked about it a little bit, and that is your experience as a Black woman in the fair trade industry. And it is no secret that the fair trade industry on this side of things is predominantly white. <laughs> and and that's something that I've always been bothered by as a white woman. And so, um, and I've always kind of wondered, like, why is that? Why is that? And I just... Um, I really value your voice in this um, issue. And I just would love for you to kind of just share your experience if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. It has been really um, interesting being in this space. And um, I will say, let me preface it by saying I have seen a lot more Black women, especially like engaging in the fair trade. I would say within the past, the past year or two. Um, so that has been really amazing. And I think we're kind of finding spaces for each other in that because it can feel like a little lonely. Like um, I will say I went to a fair trade conference and um, just experienced one of two things, either feeling exoticized. I don't know if that's a word, but I mean, like I was literally in a conversation with somebody and I feel somebody grab my hair. So I have locks and I don't know. And I turn around and this woman's like, oh my gosh, your hair is just so, and like, she's touching my hair. And I'm just like, I don't know. One, I don't know who you are. Two, I'm in the middle of talking to somebody and three like why do you feel like you have permission to touch <laughs> you know um so things like like that you know where or you get the other like people really feeling like they need to really acknowledge your presence because they like really want you to know that they're okay they're, they're glad that you're there <laughs> and you're like okay I know the intention behind this is really great but but what it shows me is there's so little of us in this place that when we arrive it you know everybody notices kind of the deal um and so you kind of feel like you stick out you don't kind of you do stick out and so I think that that's been kind of hard 
I think too, something that's been really hard. And I hope when people hear me say this, I did, this does not mean you are a bad person, you know, but just seeing like the white women with all the African children all the time. And it uh, like, sometimes it's hard because it can just perpetrate this idea of the white savior, you know? And I know again, that that's not people's intentions, but I think when you, as a white person, if you center yourself and your good in this and what you are doing in the center of the conversation, I think you're either knowingly or unknowingly kind of perpetrating that idea that, you know, we're the white people coming in to save the Africans or, you know, whoever it is. And another thing that broke my heart is I traveled on a trip with a, a bunch of women. I was the only black woman, um, white women. And I guess I just also struggled with how people in other cultures even were just like, oh, you know, seeing white women wear their pieces or carry their things just felt like it elevated like to see artisans think that if white people wear my things, then I've really made it. And hearing that dialogue, I think that really just that kind of broke my heart as well, you know, because I was like, no, like your culture is beautiful. Who you are is beautiful. It's great that they're buying your stuff, but that is not the measure of your, of your worth your worth. Yeah. Um, so even, you know, being with noonday, and they did a brilliant with this is really encouraging having conversations with Jessica and saying, how can we kind of like shift this narrative? And it's been really brilliant to see even in their catalogs, them using more ethnic models, you know, um, in their catalogs and shooting in Guatemala, like they had a whole catalog of shooting there, because I think that there's something important to letting artisans see even their own people wearing their own pieces and being like, yeah, like, oh, we are beautiful. Where we are is beautiful. Our people are beautiful. And so, yeah, so it's been kind of interesting just kind of stepping back and um, seeing those things. And I think that that's kind of those different images are kind of, I think, what makes it hard for a lot of, at least African Americans, I think, to feel like there's a safe space for them to enter into in the fair trade world. Um, it's like, okay, are we going to be seen differently? Are we going to be treated differently? I think, too, it's hard, again, just seeing that imagery, this kind of white savior imagery, like over and over and over again. So I think that that's some of the hurdles. Um, but I know on my end, one thing I'm trying to encourage when I'm having conversations with people is why I want to see more Black folks involved in fair trade is, you know, the fact that we can be connected to our heritage and our people through you know, fair trade through purchasing items that are helping our brothers and sisters all over the world. Um, I think that there's something really beautiful about that. 
as well. So that's kind of the narrative I'm kind of, you know, working on is be connected to who you are, to your heritage. Like I've had a woman come to the store. We carried some pieces from Burkina Faso and she's like, oh, I just did my DNA test and found out that, you know, some of my people came from there. And, you know, so she bought that. And I was like, that's so cool. You know, just being, yeah, reconnected to your heritage. So, yeah, so it's been, it's been really, it's been interesting. And I do feel like I'm a bit of a, a pioneer in fair trade by being a Black woman. Yeah. Oh, well, th- first, I just want to say thank you for sharing that. Um, and just thank you for the work that you do. And I also, I mean, I realize that this this doesn't help anything, but just, um, I'm sorry that you've ever experienced those, um, microaggressions in those situations. It's just awful. It's awful. And I, I hate that, you know, I just, so I just want to say thank you, um, for, for sharing that perspective. And I really value it, you know, and I, I celebrate with you in the, in, like I said, I, I also agree. I have seen a lot more black women and, and not just black white, but I've also seen more Asian women and, uh, women who are uh, Native American um, and uh, other cultures begin to step into this, into this. And I, I love that. And I want the fair trade industry to look like the people that are making products. That's what it should look like. Exactly. I, I could not agree with you more. And I think something that's really helping is like the more businesses that following these ethical principles, the more businesses that are doing it and are succeeding, I think people are just seeing from a business level how beneficial it is for everyone. And I think that the more that that grows, it it transcends race, right? And it starts to become like, yeah, this is just a good way to do business, no matter if you're black, white, Asian, um, indigenous, whichever. And so that is my hope is just that as the word gets out about the importance of having ethical businesses that we will organically see that diversity start to happen. So that would be really great. Yeah. Yeah. I I completely agree. And I think also too, just, yeah, like you said, like empowering um, or changing the narrative around the, the, the whole white savior mentality and, and yeah. And, you know, valuing communicating, especially with artisans and consumers, but communicating with artisans, like your products are beautiful and they are, you know, your worth is not measured by who is wearing them, but by how, beautiful and talented you are. That's really, really important. I work with uh, an artisan group in Kenya that that was started through my church, actually. And one of the things that we are working with them right now on doing is actually creating a shop there in a mall right by where they are. And, and like talking about how, like, we actually, we went to the mall there um, in, in this area called Thika, which is a pretty like urban, like, nice area. Um, and, uh, it's like about 45 minutes, um, outside of Nairobi. And, you know, there's this like really big kind of, you know, kind of shopping hub. And we were walking around the mall and we were showing them how, like we, there were a couple stores that had some kind of locally made products. And we showed them, we're like, your stuff is as beautiful, if not more beautiful than this stuff that is selling here in this mall that people around here are buying and trying to communicate to them that like, your stuff can sell here. And that is a big, 
um, a big part. And that also continues to create opportunities where they're becoming more self-sustainable. Right, right. Where America is not necessarily like the ultimate goal, you know, like selling in America is an opportunity, but where can we find opportunities within our own local? It just, again, it's like these subtle things, right, that reinforce how we see ourselves and how we see others. And so, yeah, you're going to have greater perhaps financial opportunities in America selling your product there. But there is something, you know, by saying, but look for opportunities here that just reinforces because here is valuable too. Like your community where you are is is valuable too. And I think it's so important to be mindful of those things. And, you know, in anything that brings good into the world, there is a, a level of intentionality. It's just continuing to be intentional about what are the narratives, what are the stories, what are the paradigms that I am creating with my business, with my work, with my interactions, with my artisan groups, like all of that, that we have to be like super mindful about. Right, right, right. Um, And there was something else that you said that I just, I really wanted to just thank you for sharing as well, because I think it's an important thing to note where you talked about how, you know, where sometimes, you know, you're like, I, I know that sometimes when I'm at a place and you know people like white people will like intend to be nice and they'll be like, but they're like really making it known that they're glad that you're there kind of thing or whatever. And it's like, well, it, like the intention is, is one thing, but impact is the most important thing. And so really focusing on like, well, if, you can intend, you can have great intentions, but what's the quote where it's like the road to hell is laid with great intentions? Great intentions, yes. Yeah, and but if if your impact is negative, understanding that like, oh, you know what, that you're right. I had negative impact there and I'm sorry, I'm gonna know, you know, like Maya Angelou said, I'm gonna know better, I'm gonna do better. And and so understanding, like having those really hard conversations sometimes and I've made mistakes, none of us are perfect, um, you know, we all make mistakes and, um, and there are certainly things that I've been like, Oh, why did I say that? That was such a bonehead thing to say. Like, I didn't mean this. Oh, that came off so bad. And, and it's just going, Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm human. I made a mistake. My intentions were good, but my impact was terrible. And I am sorry. And I'm going to be different moving forward. That's so important. That's so important. And I always tell people, cause I think a lot of, um, white people get caught up and being scared of doing things wrong, you know, and, and I always, I'm just like, I don't know. I'm like, instead of trying to read a book about it, I'm like, just go make some friends, some actual friends of people who just look differently than you and just be like in real relationship with people. And I'm like, you'll learn real quick, you know, you know, what's cool or not. But I think out of context, You know, it's like, you know, when we're traveling all the time, it's like, even when I go into another culture, I have to be mindful to not come in thinking, oh, I know all about this culture, you know, and I have to be mindful of how I treat the artisans. And I try to just come in and and, and be humble to learn from them and not come in with my own preconceived notions of who this culture is and who these people are because of my, because of something I've read in a book or on a blog post or something like that, you know? 
So even as a black woman, like I'm practicing those things all the time. You know, do I have friends who are Hispanic, um, who are African, um, even out of the context of being within their home countries so that I am just mindful of just being culturally respectful, but in context of relationship, you know? And I think sometimes people want to skip over the relational part and just, I should just be able to say what I want to say and do what I want to do or what I think is best. When I'm like, well, there's some work to be done. Like just love some who's differently than you. And then, you know, start <sighs> touching people's hair. <laughs> No, don't. Unless they... Right. But I feel like if you're actually in relationship, you're not going to touch their hair because you're going to know that you don't do that. So I think when you... Yeah. Relationships are just so, so important. So before you get on Twitter and start spouting about a thing or getting on Facebook and spouting about something or putting a sign in your yard or whatever, you know, just stop and say, am I loving and am I relationship with people who are are different than me and if I'm not then that's that's your first step like go and love and be with people who are different right yes oh that's so important and and especially I mean and especially like if you really do seek out to form relationships genuine relationships no agenda no like selfish like I'm gonna be this friends with this person because I get to get something from them No, no 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 like but having a genuine relationship with people, like you can just learn so much and, um, and you just realize like how beautiful our differences are. And, um, like I love, like I, one of my favorite things is every time, I mean, obviously, like I said, I, I message with my, my Kenyan friends on WhatsApp all the time, but like every time I'm there, I'm like, we will just sit and I will just ask a million questions and they like, they love it because they're such relational people, but that's how we learn. And then they in turn, then they ask me questions and they'll be like, well, how do you do this? Or, and I'll ask, be like, well, what do you guys do for this? Or I was there right after New Year's. And so I was like, well, how do you guys celebrate New Year's here? Like, what, what are some big traditions here? What, what do you guys do for Christmas? And my, my sweet friend, Susan, she was like, well, we, we brought a bull and we sacrificed the bull. And I was like, okay, we don't, that sounds pretty cool. Tell me about that. You know what I mean? Like we can learn these really amazing things from each other and, and see what is, what is unique and beautiful about our cultures. And, um, yes, yes. Relationships are so key. And, and we as Americans in general, this, I mean, you know, race aside, like American, American culture in general, we are not as relational as the rest of the world. Oh my gosh. No. Um, the rest of the world, they are just almost every other culture except for America is just so deeply woven into relationships and how much they value community and, and how much they value each other. And, and that is just something that I, I love so much about traveling. And I know that you do too. Right. It's almost disarming, right? Yes. Because like, even as much as we travel, it's like you come back to America and you live this certain way where everybody's kind of doing their own thing and so busy all the time. And then you travel and you see somebody who just suddenly opens up their home and their heart and like everything to you. And you're just like, whoa, oh yeah. So beautiful. Like, yeah, this is the way like it should be, but it's the way we were created to live. Right. Right. 
I can think of it just a fantastic example of um, I remember we were in the car on the way to visit one of the artisan groups. And so we had um, we I couldn't obviously I wasn't driving. And so I had given the phone to um, or I'd given the, the, the contact of the, the artisan group, um, the manager there. I'd given her contact information to Susan, my friend who's who's Kenyan. And so they were going to coordinate the directions. And so I hear them talking on the phone and they're talking like they've known each other their entire lives. And so it was so funny. Like they're just talking, they're laughing, blah, blah. And they get off the phone. And then um, when we got there, you know, they're talking and laughing. And then we were leaving and I was like, did you guys know each other? And they're like, no, we didn't know each other. And they're like, but we will. And that, but they like exchanged numbers. They're like, but we'll be, we're friends now. Like we'll call each other. And, but that's just how it is. It's like, they just make friends so easily. And it's just, it's amazing. I'm like, I'm jealous of this. It's so hard to make a friends as an adult in America. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. I love like my husband goes to India probably once almost every other year. And it's always brother Andrew, brother and like immediately. It's just like sister, brother. It's just like if we did that in America, people would be like, What is wrong with you? But it's just that gesture of like we are family from the beginning, you know. It's just so beautiful. I love it. Uh, I love it so much. Okay. Um, clearly, Latoya, I could talk to you for all day. I just love you so much. And oh, I love you too, Molly. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I really could talk to you all day, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but we're going to transition just a little bit because I want to ask my, my get to know you questions because it's one of my favorite parts of the show. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. All right. So, but the first question I'm going to ask is um, one that I'm just kind of asking my guests during this season. And that is, what are you learning about yourself during COVID-19? Oh, gosh, man. I'm so, I've been really thinking about that a lot lately because I'm like, man, you are just kind of left to, to face yourself. And, and I think, uh, and you're like, do I like what I see? Um, I always just thought I was just cool and calm person. And um, this has really shown me a, a lot of like anxiety, you know, um, lack of control. I was like, I don't, I think I knew I had some probably borderline control issues, but when it is like no control, I am like, what is happening? Um, so that that has been really eye-opening and, and really having to live in this daily space of letting things go and letting them just be what it is. Like my husband and I, I swear like several times a day, we're like, it is what it is. Like, we're just like, that is what it is. And so, um, but there is something sweet about that, right? About learning to let things go and coming before God and just being like, it is what it is, Lord, like, and, and, and letting it go and, and finding peace and in the letting go. Um, I think, you know, having grace with myself, that's been a really big thing I've learned because I am not as productive. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. My husband's an eight and I'm a two. <laughs> oh, are you, are you like, I'll bring you care packages. What do you need? I've got soup. What do you want? <laughs> How can I help you? <laughs> yes, exactly. And then my husband's like, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm, I'm over this. Yeah. He's an eight. Oh, 
I am so over this and I'm like, I'm not affecting change in the way that I want to right now. <laughs> I'm out of control, right? You know? And so I um so yeah, so I'm just not as productive as I think I would like to be. And it's like, of course you're not, LaToya. Like you are working on a business that had to pivot really, really quickly in light of this. You have four kids, <laughs> three of whom are school age, really four of whom are school age. You know, it's like, there's a lot. My mom had COVID-19. So for a while we were trying to care for her and you're trying to care for um, and she's 70, so she was right in that window. So trying to care for somebody that you can't come in contact with. And, you know, so all of these different things and just just learning to be gracious with myself that you're going to have good days and bad days. So those are probably the biggest things like letting go, learning to let go and finding peace and letting go. And then, you know, also just having grace with myself. So. <laughs> Oh, grace abounds. That's what I keep saying. I'm like, grace upon grace, grace abounds right now. Yeah, grace for you. I'm like Oprah with grace. Grace for you. You get grace. <laughs> you get some grace and you get some grace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. Okay. Uh, so question number two, uh, Latoya, I know that you are very talented in a lot of ways. What is your most unusual talent? Oh, my most unusual talent. That is super. I I can play a mean game of just dance. Oh, I love it. I am like, I'm a just dance pro. Just ask, ask my children. Um, I also really, really, really love to bake. So we actually, during this COVID-19 thing, when your husband owns a video production company and he's bored and wants to shoot something, we actually did a couple of episodes of a baking show. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they're up on our Instagram page, but, um, yeah, so that's, I've been blessing my family with lots of bread and bready things and carbs, carbs for days, carbs and grace, carbs and grace, carbs and grace, all the carbs and grace that needs to be on a t-shirt, a mug or something. I love it. Yeah. My, my, in my family, my sister is the baker. I am the cook. I mean, she can cook too, but she owns an actual bakery. Um, whereas like I did not get that gene as much as she did. I usually burn things. I love it. Okay. If someone were to play you in a movie, who would you want it to be? Man. When the movie is made about your life. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Let me think. Man, that's a, that's a really good one. Um, oh, you know who I'm digging right now is like Carrie Washington. Oh, yeah. Scandal all the way. Scandal. She just did this show called Little Fires Everywhere. I've heard it's so good, but I haven't seen it yet. It's so good. It's on Hulu, but it's so good. So we'll go with that. She's got great bone structure too. So I'll take I'll take some of that. <laughs> I love it. I love Carrie Washington. I yeah, my husband and I um, were big scandal fans. So I need I've I need to see Little Fires Everywhere because everyone has talked about how, it's, how good it is. Okay. Uh, what makes you feel most alive? Oh, gosh. Um, 
I really think connecting people to each other really makes me, I just love it. Um, so even when like, again, like, I feel like that's the heart of my store is like connecting our customers to these amazing artisans. Um, because something we didn't even get into is another aspect of our store is we work with local artists as well. So we so Atlanta has a really um, a huge refugee population. Um, so our candles are poured by um, refugee women, great company called Intertwined. Um, we've also worked with an Afghan uh, wood carver, Najib. So he's made some pieces for us. And so connecting people with this brilliant community, it's like right up the street, because so many people who even live in Atlanta don't even know about Clarkston. So it's been really good to like connect them there. Um, and then another thing we do is we feature different female artist, local female artist in our store too. We sell their pieces. And so it's been really brilliant to also um, highlight these amazing artists and have people like buy their work. And um, we've really been emphasizing lately, even black female artists as another just kind of like marginalized group. And so I've really, really, really loved that. And then for years, I've facilitated a group of women on race. Started out with like Be the Bridge curriculum. I, lo I just love Latasha Morrison. Oh, Latasha's amazing. And so, so connecting people has just... I don't know. I just feel like it's kind of like my spiritual gift and, and what I just really love. Yeah. Yes. That is absolutely a spiritual gift as being a connector. Um, I have a, quite a few friends who are, who that is their spiritual gift. And I love that. And I love to see the way that you use that gift. That's awesome. All right. So my last question, and this is the question I ask all my guests, and that is, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Gosh, it, I mean, it means everything. I'm just like, I, I can't imagine running it any other way. Um, it's why, it's the why, right? Purpose, um, impact is, it's like, I'm not just doing this for uh, kicks and giggles or, you know, or money, really. Um, money is not the motivator. The motivator is showing people that we are all connected to each other and that you can bring meaningful things into your home, meaningful pieces, and you can help to create opportunities for artisans all over the world. That like you can engage in this very big problem in a very simple way. You know, you're going to buy things for your home. So you might as well buy things that are doing, doing good in the world. So... I love that. I love that. LaToya, this has been such a gift to have you on the show today. I know, Molly. It's so good. I'm going to be like smiling the whole rest of the day because this was just, you know, when you have a really great conversation with somebody and it just re-energizes you, like this is what I needed. And thank you so much for your voice. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, when all this is said and done, I want to come down to Atlanta. I want to see your store and all of it. So um, for the listeners, obviously I'm going to have all of Latoya's information along with all the links to shop sustainable home goods. And if you are in the Atlanta area, as soon as that stay at home order is lifted and you can go shop 
you go just buy all the things from Latoya's. Come say hi. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. We will be all desperate for hugs and. Right. Oh, man. I can't wait to hug again. Oh, man. I know. I know. I know. I know. Oh, so thank you so much for being here. You are just amazing. No, thank you, Molly. Again, using your platform um, and using your voice to just propel, you know, our businesses forward and to just help people be mindful about how important it is to have purpose and the work that you're doing is brilliant. And I have so enjoyed and I needed this too. So please, I almost was like, oh, do I need to do this? Uh, you know, because it's just been so hard, you know, this, all of this, but I was like, this is exactly what I need. Like for us to talk and be reconnected, why we do what we do. So thank you. It was a gift to me. Oh, I love that. I love it. You're the best. Cool. <laughs> You're the best. A quick thank you to our partner of this week's episode, Hope Writers. To learn more and discover which of the six stages of writing you are currently in, visit hopewriters.com slash molly. That's hopewriters.com slash molly to take the 30-second quiz. You have words of hope, and Hope Writers wants to help you share them. Okay, I want to know what you loved about this week's episode or something that you learned from my conversation with LaToya. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag, Business with Purpose Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. Be sure to check out the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are a regular listener of the show, Thank you for tuning in week in and week out and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, basically wherever you can listen to a podcast and click that subscribe button. Clicking that button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how this show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by Third Wheel Media. Now, thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.